Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, CEO of ScaleX.ai, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. Today I've got Anthony with me, who is the founder and CEO of SignalWire, and he started around the same time that my company did, which is December of 2017. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun, and they just hit a major milestone, which is their Series B. So congratulations on, on the latest round, and welcome to the show, Anthony. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to dig in. I think a lot of times people look from the outside in at us as entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs and say, oh, they've got it so easy. (laughs) And little do they know the level of pressure sometimes that we face in raising money or bootstrapping uh, both bring their own unique pressures. So we're going to dig into a little bit of that today, but I like to start by letting our audience get to know who you are. So Anthony, and how do I say your last name? Minasali? That's right. All right. We got it right. Um, so SignalWire, tell us a little bit about the company before we dig into the history of, of where you came sure. from and all that kind of thing. So um, SignalWire is a company devoted to transforming all communication to the internet. Um, that includes, you know, tel- telephony and using, you know, landlines and all of the like, their live audio video. Um, we want to convert that to the internet. And the way we do that is by making infrastructure that's software defined that can run on the virtual compute clouds that are out there um, and transform telecom into APIs so that when, um, when you want to build something that integrates your communication tools with your business logic that you can um, use software to bind them together and, and create your clients and your uh, behaviors and you know create hooks and things that happen when your communication elements uh, certain events happen you know like somebody calling or hanging up or um, like when they talk and don't talk or asking for data over the communication you know say you want to make like a robot that ask you a bunch of questions and reacts to what you say any of that kind of stuff wow i remember caddying for the former ceo of us west back in the 90s in colorado and and i interviewed him for my mba program in 2000 and they did this test in these little houses in our neighborhood where they had these dozens of people come out and they talked about the set-top box 
and how they were going to deliver voice, video, and data to your home, but the piping wasn't big enough at the time. So they were 10 years before their time. And now you fast forward, I worked for RingCentral uh, for a time and Zoom Video and SignalWire. Uh, being able to bring all of that over the internet is just such leaps and bounds above what, what it was, what was capable 20 years ago. Yeah, the timing problem still existed even five years ago. Um, that's really why I waited to, for the timing of when we started SignalWire. We had a lot of the technology kind of developed in the academic sense, but it needed the internet to be right first. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so helping our audience get to know you, you're in the Wisconsin area now. Is that where you've always been? Yes. Um, most of my life I was on the east side of Milwaukee. Um, got a little older and moved into the suburbs, but pretty close still to, you know, downtown Milwaukee. Got it. Yeah. I was, I was born in Madison, but we moved to Colorado when I was about five or six. So what I like to share with folks is what were you passionate about then, right? You're obviously a CEO founder now, and you've done a lot in your life. Tell us about what you were passionate about when you were younger, six, seven, eight years old, some of your first memories. What'd you love to do when you were that age? Um, Star Wars. <laughs> I was the right age. The Star Wars was brand new when I was about that age. So I was obsessed with it. I had all the action figures and stuff. And I also started learning guitar at that point. So it was like the two things I did was guitar and Star Wars. That's awesome. What was your favorite figure? Boba Fett, because that was the one you had to like save up the packaging for to get. You couldn't buy it. Yeah, those are good memories. I remember having a magnifying glass and we would, you know, burn the toes of Luke Skywalker. And so the value of them now is not, not what it used to be probably with burn. Well, I had one, one kid in my neighborhood would glue his to a stand to make them worth something later. But now we know that if you go on eBay, they're still only worth like five or 10 bucks each. So it might have been more fun playing with them and burning their toes than hoping <laughs> Yeah, I guess I thought someday it would be one of those things where it was like, I just fetched a million dollars for the original Luke Skywalker. And that's not the case. You can buy the whole set for $89. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I tried to share it with my kids and I had lost most of mine by then. So I just went on eBay and bought a bag full of them. Like, and it was all the same ones. Like, here you go, play with these. This is what I had when I was a kid. Well, it's certainly still a big deal. My nephew is all into it and he can name all of the different aircrafts and spaceships and everything. So I think it's it's moved on to the next generation with yeah. some TV shows and Disney Plus and all of that. So Definitely. that's um so if you think about playing Star Wars and guitar, and I played guitar too. I have two sitting in the back wall behind me. So that's, we have a lot in common, it sounds like, and both from Wisconsin. Um, if you think of what you love to do then to what you're doing now, is there any relation to being curious about Star Wars to the kind of work that you do today? No, but I would say, well, maybe some weird way that I haven't figured out. But I was, this was in the early, late 70s. Um, if you just give me a couple more years, then I discovered video games, you know, because of the era of the arcade, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, all that stuff. So um, as a software engineer, self-appointed and uh, what we call like a tech founder, uh, some of my family likes to attribute that to me being obsessed with Donkey Kong. 
but somehow I doubt it. But I was drawn to technology, right? So like an arcade machine was like different than what we're used to. Everyone else is outside making stuff with sticks. And like all of a sudden you can go like shove a quarter in this weird thing and play video games. So I was obsessed with that too when the, when it came out. Um, and to, I still do the emulators of those things. Um, but maybe that was like my draw to technology because I got to see that. I was too young to capitalize off of it. Many people are rich from making just a single machine. You know, it's like uh, Space Invaders like made so much money that they, they had to empty it three times a day because it would stop working because it would clogged with quarters. Wow. So <laughs> wow. I was too young to capitalize on that opportunity, but I definitely was like a consumer of it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, did you ever do the choose your own adventure programming where you put, put in the lines of code in DOS, right? And then you, you, you say, you know, you go into a woods, you choose the left path or the right path. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's the Infocom engine. Yeah. Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was my favorite. Um, in fact, um, as a demo later in SignalWire, I connected that to the phone. So you could call on the phone and talk and say the commands and then it would read back the text, like a gateway, the text to the to voice so that you could play that game basically just by talking. Wow. So that's where the future's headed, right? It's, it's, you'll be able to talk to computer. You already can. You talk to the computer and the computer can talk back to you. Yeah. There's a lot of challenge behind that still. And I guess, uh, you're saying you're involved in AI. That's probably a good topic to focus on because we still haven't completely nailed understanding speech because it's hard. Our brains are the best thing ever at doing this and maybe AI will figure it out. It still gets it pretty messed up, um, but it's getting better constantly. Um, I think there's like two pieces to it, like capturing the voice and then sorting it into pieces and then interpreting it because you almost need like two or three steps of processing because it's almost impossible as a generic computer to understand the context, especially English has so many words that sound the same, depending on what you're saying. Um, so you almost need like, get all the words and separate them and then do another pass where you take logic and, and try and make sure that it's not garbage, you know, because sure. it's very easily like, it could just nonsensical stuff. But if you read it, it's like, oh, this is what I said. It's just hearing different words. So There's I think a, company, that's a company called Balto Software out of St. Louis, and they can take a phone conversation between a salesperson and a prospect or a customer, listen to it in real time, and then serve up what the salesperson should say back to the customer based on the AI's understanding of the conversation. Now, to your point, it's probably catching something like a competitor word right? It's probably not fully understanding all of the sentences put together, but it's getting better and better to the point where when call centers are selling insurance or large transaction volume that are highly repetitive, it can really do a good job at keeping the salesperson on the track that they're supposed to be on by listening and providing feedback to the calls. Right. And I think there's a lot of more, there's a lot of opportunity to improve the context the context area of conversations with robots because we all accept like Siri and Alexa and Cortana for whatever, you know, there's one, no matter what kind of uh, ecosystem you prefer for your computers or something, some form of uh, AI voice stuff. Right. And um, 
they all lack context still, which is a great opportunity to expand on them. Like they don't, you don't, you can't just say, Hey robot, I want, I'm hungry. And it like relentlessly tries to help you until you tell it to stop. You know, it's like, you have to say it all in that one sentence and it forgets, it's, you know, you have to move on. The next command is completely irrelevant. Like it should still be worrying about the fact that you're hungry. And then it's like, I know where a few restaurants there are. Also the grocery store is still open or whatever. Like it doesn't do that. It doesn't know the context that it, it just, you have to get it all into one command before it'll stop. And there's been a few things that are starting to work on that, but they don't do it enough. You know, like drive me to the, if I'm my, my GPS should know why I'm getting off the highway. It, could, it immediately starts telling me to get back on the highway, but I'm going right towards the gas station. Like, oh, I see you're running out of gas. Good idea. Let's get some, you know what I mean? It just doesn't have yeah. context with what's going on, which is a whole different problem on top of the voice recognition, which I think there's lots of ways that we can do that too. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's complex. And then my son is 19, going to Colorado School of Mines for computer software engineering. And, um, I suspect that generation will will set out to solve these kinds of problems and probably get get there in the next 20 years. Yeah, and then I guess we're making them the tools. We're right making them quick. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you went from childhood to computer, uh, you know, playing arcade games to now. I have to imagine every one of us has faced challenges on the way. Is there one that sticks out to you that you're comfortable sharing, obviously on a podcast, um, to help our audience understand, you know, that we all face stuff in life. What what would you share? Well, the most relevant one is probably that as I was trying to figure out what I was doing for the next many years, um, I was in a world where, you know, work from home wasn't a thing like it is now um it was late 90s um but i kind of really wanted to live that lifestyle um we're, we're talking about like barely 28.8 modems and computers with giant monitors that weigh 400 pounds and are only like 800 by 600 resolution um and dial up internet which is text-based and unix um but i had this vision of like remote work and communications and and trying to solve all these problems so like starting from like basically it's like being teleported back to like the wild west and then trying to make the iphone or something so i had this like struggle of wanting to make something cool but learning and all is unfolding like a browser was a new thing so people are just like they didn't even know they needed websites yet and so i had to kind of claw my way from a world that was like super new um, and figure out how to create my vision. So it was like um, going to school, there was no, there's no, still no classes that are like how to be an internet entrepreneur and invent a bunch of technology that changes things, right? There's no class for that. Um, that it, it basically just teaches you kind of generic computer science. I think it's gotten a little better since then, but there wasn't really, anything that was happening. So I had to basically drop out of school because I was so obsessed with like what was unfolding in front of me that I was forced to kind of like self-teach. 
um, things that were happening in the world, like right around me, like the advent of the internet and CGI programming and web-based apps and like, you know, watching it all explode around me and trying to, you know, hang on to something and, and grow with it. So I would say that would probably be the hardest thing because there's just not like, what I ended up doing is my career is not something you can go to college for. Mm. There still isn't a way. It's kind of unfortunate. Um, we still expect pro programmers to all be, or just nat naturally smart. Like there's no even, the best programming schools, you have to already know how to program to even get into them. So there's not like mm. a lot of nurturing in computer science. I think it's like, you have to find your way through kind of a wild west. And then you meet a whole bunch of other people just like you eventually that you can get online. And uh, they're all kind of have similar stories about where they came from. So that's probably like the hardest thing, I think. It made things a little more challenging than just picking something like, lawyer that's very obvious and there's like an exact path i could follow to get to that job wow that's neat to think about and so i've heard the term the bigger the why the bigger the try if you were to articulate you know the why behind what you're doing you talked about remote work can you you know have you put a finger on it of why are you so enthused to deliver this kind of technology to the people you're delivering to it today I think a part of it is as I progressed the lifestyle that it opens up is very good. There's like a, your common finding balance work in life. Like I go and I, I go sit in an office, throw pencils at the ceiling and have a meeting. And then I like take off and try and go camping or something. You like keep trying to divide it. Um, but I find like with remote work, you can kind of just weave it instead so you can like you you can go do whatever you want and you have your phone and you can look at it and you can communicate with people and stuff and then put it away again um and kind of live from wherever you are like in ghost places um you can go work like oh i can go on that trip for a month because i just bring my laptop and i work i don't have a exact office so i can kind of do more stuff like a lot easier and also when it comes to communication we can leverage it because it's not just like one landline with the mob bells phone ringing anymore it's like if you get you can pump like a thousand phone calls over one phone number now and, and with digital um communications you can set up a call center almost like just with a room full of laptops and stuff you don't need as many it's complex stuff so like even your home phone number, like consumers eventually can start enjoying the fact that you can get like five calls to your house at the same time. And if five people are home, they all pick up a different phone in your house. It's like just because one person answered the phone, the rest of them shouldn't be useless. Um, so those are all kinds of cool things that I've started working on and being involved in and want to bring to the, to, to the masses of general People I mean, I love when I land on your website, what you just said is what's right there front and center on the site, be there anywhere. And I'm traveling to Atlanta tomorrow at 6am. Then I go to Charlotte to see my aunt and uncle. Then I go to Kentucky to see Noah's Ark that I've heard a lot about on Monday. And I'll, I wasn't planning on working. My wife was going to be coming with me and now she's got a cough. So she's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay home. So it's, but that's fine. It's okay. Now I'll actually work in the hotel room a little more than I had planned. But, you know, to your point, I also thought about, I'd love to go skiing in, uh, I've been to Canada, I'm in Colorado. I'd love to ski in, in Europe someday. And 
well, why not? What's holding you back? <laughs> you know? And that's oh, yeah. the beauty of the kind of technology that that's available. Be there anywhere. It's awesome. Wow. Well, this is fun. Um, if you were to, what would change everything for you, right? Whether it's with work, whether it's with your personal life, like you just woke up one day and you said, holy cow, that's awesome. Like, what would that one thing be for you? That's a tricky one because that I think happens every week for me um, because there's a lot. We're very bleeding edge with stuff that we work on. Um, I think that probably the best thing for me would be, um, so when you're doing, uh, running a new company, there's kind of this notion that you're either in wartime or peacetime. And wartime is you're struggling and fighting and clawing your way up and being scrappy and trying to figure out how to like poke everyone, you know, and run between their legs and get out there and grow and avoid getting all the different, you know, it's just like being in war and arrows coming at you in every direction. Um, and then there's also peacetime and you usually transition between them. Like it never lasts forever. You go back and forth between these, but uh, startups are always born in wartime, no matter what, like, you don't just magically show up and, and you're winning and everything. So um, that would probably be the best one was to hit that peacetime. Give me a little rest from, from the, the strategy in peacetime is easier to do than in wartime. Yeah. So. I love it. It's interesting. My son uh, faced some oil burn earlier in this year and so he's healed now so uh he said dad on a scale of one to ten what's the most pain you've ever faced and i'm like i don't maybe a six or a seven i broke an arm or something but you know your adrenaline kicks in and copped it down to a seven and so he was like well i don't know maybe i'm a three and this is like hand burns face burn he's like i don't know i'm a three and then they go okay you don't get meds at a three he's like no then it's a seven i need i need to get my meds right well, I started th paralleling that to stress. There's only a scale of one to 10. There's no such thing as 15 stress. And, and it seems like we make, we make up the number that we associate with the stress that we go through, right? Um, in, in your role as founder and CEO, if you were to put a stress factor on you know, a typical month, does it get, does it ever get to a six or a seven or a nine or a 10? Or have you come to a level where you, you just keep the stress under a three or something? Like how, how do you manage that? And what, what number would you put to it? I think that in a similar vein to what you're saying, um, it, you could set whatever the normal is and that normal suddenly will go down to the middle of the scale because you're, you're, whatever you live at will like keep going down to normal. So I remember being new to this, um, before we even when I was just like working for other people doing say like building the tech side of things or, or building like maintaining systems for people and if I'd make mistakes I'd have to clean up after them or I'd be in a hurry to do stuff I found myself up at like three in the morning like panicking about oh crap I accidentally like killed the server I have to make the whole thing again or whatever um, and that was like an immense amount of stress but in, in comparison now, if it's like trying to close, you know, a $30 million round, it, it feels almost the same, but it's a lot bigger stakes, you know, so it could be, 
fast forward even farther and I'm doing like $10 million deals every other day and we, and it's probably pretty stressful. So I think that if you figure out how to baseline it, um, it's hard to, to really gauge. So I'd say like, mm. I always live at five because I, whatever used to be a 10 is now only a five or something like that. Like, but it's pretty important to try and not always be stressed because it blocks your ability to see it's like foggy because you're always like trying to get out of the one thing that's crushing you and it makes you feel like you have no um control over it so it's one of those wisdom things that you learn after the fact like if you just turned it off and walked away and went and sat under a tree for an hour you probably have better results than if you're like sitting there trying to stay up all night fixing it i love that dan martell I, I go on his ski trips to Canada and he has 48 CEOs attend. And he talked about this in you either have dollar problems, $10 problems, hundred dollar problems, thousand dollar problems, million dollar problems. And it's just the scale that changes. And yeah, to your point, when I'm focused on, you know, our company did a million four last year. So now we're targeting 2 million. Well, if you have a bad month or a bad quarter, you could be down a hundred or 200,000. In the past, I would be like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Like that's what I make in a year. And now it's like, okay, you just need to solve for that. It's just a diff- It's just a bigger stack of chips on the roulette table. Yeah. Yeah. Baselining it. That's cool. Um, so thinking about three years from today, you've, uh, you've progressed beyond the B round and and done some things, what, what is the, what is, you know, if you could wave the wand and say, wow, Chad, I'm back on your show. I've just had the best three years ever. Um, what would that look like three years from now for your family, for your employees, you know, whomever. It most likely will be, um, getting as much of my vision implemented as I can. Um, and hopefully there'd be another one of big milestone happening somewhere in that timeline because we just hit series B right now. Um, there's lots of other outcomes you can do. Like you can keep going up and getting more funding. You can get an exit. You can go public. Um, I'm sure it'll be one of those and I have to work my way backwards from that. Um, so I'm imagining that will be again, the cashing into $10 million problems, you know, yeah trading my problems of um, being kind of in the same boat but having a lot of growth and larger company and and more time to think because we have other people that are helping we we started out with like three people and we're up like 70 now so three more years i'm sure we'll be a couple hundred yeah awesome what shoot where was i going to ask you next i was going to ask you about if you could go back and talk to your 20 year old self and say, you know, if you just do this one thing, what what would that be? That would probably be to implement my ideas faster in certain cases. You know, it's a waiting game in some ideas and other times it's not, but um, it's, if you start seeing a pattern where you're like, you know the imaginary day like they should make blah 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 or there should be this and then you keep seeing it and like maybe you're actually good at coming up with some of those things so you should try and do them instead of just like declare that you wish they existed and wait for someone else to do it boom yeah that's good 
we were just launching an app this week that was like that. And it came to us through COVID and we just said, you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> so we did it. And it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as hard as I expected it would be. Um, all right. Last question for you, Anthony, is about faith. What role does faith play in your life or your journey and, you know, where you're headed? I think it's a critical component because it's sort of like when you drive a boat you steer the boat and you have to wait to see and you know it's more about deciding how long to wait for stuff um than it is what to do um so one plan you should always have like every plot point of your path kind of figured out so you can think quickly when the time comes you also have to know like how long to wait and when to actually switch to one of the other plans and stuff like that so um i started out basically unhappy with anything that existed as a tool for me to build anything from that I wanted. Like I had an idea, I thought I could just go off the shelf, find some stuff and make my product that I thought it was cool. Um, it turned out that it didn't, um, there wasn't enough there. So I had to go one level deeper and build my own software platform, which was like a um, open source project, right? So I built this code, I started out by myself, wrote a whole bunch of it. I started bringing more people involved and I had like a small team and then I had a community that I had to grow manually around me. Um, and just kind of taking on giant, ridiculously ambitious things like that. You know, like when we were starting, everyone said it was uh, whatever, this is vaporware, or like that's not possible. You can do any of this stuff. And so like working through like all of that, um, running the company is not much different. It's just an even bigger scale. Um, so you need dedication and faith in, in especially your own goals because if you don't, like you need, it takes a while sometimes, you know, like you have to, our software project is 15 years old now that I started. It's like a, a low level open source uh, C program that has millions of lines of code and has people around the world, major um, enterprise companies are built on the backbone of the, my first early work, um, including now SignalWire too. Um, so like that took a really long time uh, with, with no faith in that process, there would be, it would give up really easily. Like lots of times, like you have to be like relentless. Yeah. Now, it's this has been a great conversation. A lot of people might listen to this podcast and think Anthony's figured it out, right? Uh, my friend Arjun Sen, who's a big time marketer, he's like the brand whisperer, the Yoda for marketing. Um, even he works with Tiger Woods on marketing. And, and he said that we all need to find what we're one of one at and then just go for that. So it feels to me like you're in that lane of beat of knowing where you're one of one. How did you get to that point to understand this is what I'm built to do. And this is, you know, this is what God made me for. And this is what I'm going to deliver on. <laughs> like, how, how did you come into that zone? Um, Unix, the Unix operating system was the first thing that I ever used besides an Apple. So I didn't have a computer. I only went to a data center or like the school's um, 
computer lab. So a lot of people were starting to get, you know, the Windows or Mac thing was going on early versions of Windows and Macs were new. Uh, I only had seen like an Apple when I was in grade school because they used to kind of bring them out to show little kids what computers were because there were like hardly anything back then. Um, so I think the number one influence I had was like discovering Unix first, like the first computer operating system that I ever used, like on a daily basis and memorized how to work was Unix. Um, you know, and back then it was like a, like a deck alpha, probably the size of a refrigerator. I never saw it. It was just like, go sit down at a green screen terminal and just type stuff. So, um, I think that I had this, um, probably above average kind of literary skills. Um, not per se that I should write books or anything, but um, I had kind of a, a rapid development in that, at least as a kid, like my reading level went was higher when I was younger than most people. And you know, probably it's caught up now, obviously. But um, as I was going through that, um, Unix is kind of like the special thing where you have to have like computers or one kind of, part of your brain and um, literary skills are another, but like Unix kind of is a crossover between the two. So I think starting from Unix um, and following the trajectory of that, all the software I've built is kind of on top of that. Um, so coming to communications uh, might've just been luck because I went to build basically like a call center that like telemarketers or call or inbound call center could use from the idea was over the internet because they, they had this over a wide area network but you would just go set that up like go shove it in the, in the corner and put a bunch of people in the same room and this computer was somewhere close by on a wide area network and it would just go and um or a local area network sorry um so there was no wide area network solution so i wanted to make it where everyone would be this also ties in the work from home like I wanted my call center to be a bunch of people at their own laptops, wherever they were. Um, and so I, that's just the, the company I was at and the product we we're trying to build. So I think it was a combination of that, like my uh, early upbringing and uh, derivative stuff from using Unix and then learning about what was there for communications and uh, leveraging it specifically for that kind of stuff. Uh, also, I had like a background in web hosting because I was, Web hosting was a, one of the first companies I worked at that was technical, and it was back when everyone was still making their own websites, and it used to cost like a hundred dollars a month to even have a website. And the company where was brought down to twenty, so there's a lot of scaling of web servers to try and make up for that. You know, to make it versatile, and we're, we're, the computers were very weak back then compared to now. Like like everybody's laptop is nicer than the servers we used to put like 10,000 websites on in like the nineties. So I think it was just a combination of all that. Like, and it tends to be that way with everyone. Um, if you go back and look at stories, there's kind of like, I think Malcolm Gladwell has a cool book where he goes and looks at a bunch of people that have just like the right stuff hit them and whether or not it's luck or what, but like, because of the combination of what you're exposed to, um, you know, like Bill Gates, mom had like a, free pass to the computer lab where you used the punch card computer and like no one could touch it unless you had time share on it and she just had like unlimited so you got to spend every night playing with the thing I so you just get the right combination of stuff and it produces different people with different skill sets i think so whatever my tra track is came from those things kind of just being there at the right time
I mean, that's a neat, neat thing. If you're, if you're listening to the show, pay attention because think about what Anthony just said, looking back one word, Unix, right? And you, your eyes lit up when you talked about it. Cause it's like, yeah, that's the thing that helped lead me into the, the path that you're supposed to be on. So it, it feels to me like sometimes we, as people go down a path that doesn't, that they don't find their eunuchs, right? And they just go down something because someone else thought it was good for them to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. And it's important to pay attention to those things that cause you to light up and amazing things can happen when, when that happens. So what a cool conversation. Um, Anthony, really pleasure having you on the show. Anthony Minasali, who is the founder and CEO of SignalWire. If you haven't checked out the site, um, very cool. Be there anywhere. And man, it looks like a, I'm, I'm really going to have to check out this, this uh, video collaboration because vid, you know, when I was with WebEx years and years ago in 2005, and I remember video first came out and I would have the CIO on sales calls, on big enterprise calls. And I remember them telling a story that video, uh, a picture's worth a thousand words and the video tells the whole story. And they showed a picture of someone in the middle of the street where this guy that looked like a thief was holding on to a bag. Like it looked like he was going to steal this purse from this woman in the middle of the street. And that was the picture. And then they unthawed the picture and it was a movie. And, he, and then he pulled her out of the way of oncoming traffic. And I was like, oh, wow. So video is obviously here to stay. You can see and understand a lot more about a person by having not just voice communications, but video and all of it. So really cool. Um, empowering. Yeah, that's kind of our goal is to break that down into tools so that you can combine all those things your own way. So when you want to build something, you have the, the hard part, the infrastructure, you can just build the client against it and provision your resources and generate apps and have the video arranged any way you want and use it for whatever kind of vertical you think is interesting. Mm. So when I launch, we're launching a foundation called Living a Better Story. We're going to have recorded 20 to 30 minute sessions where the speaker, you know, the, you present it in a group of 20 people and then there's a facilitator. However, We'd like to be able to have that remote facilitator come in and actually have live conversations with the room. I would expect there's probably a, uh, a app to be built waiting for us with SignalWire on that one. Yes. And then when you think about building that app, it changes the paradigm because right now, if you didn't have SignalWire, you're going to go find a bunch of like low level software and you need twice as many engineers you need a place to put the servers on the internet and you have to go and hook it up to you know build it then you need someone to do the front end you know so once uh, with our goal in mind um you just worry about the app itself like the client and the, the behaviors are already built you just arrange and pick the ones you want um it takes a lot of time off the, your time to market is like shaved down to a fraction of what it has to be you might not even try it um, you know, it's very similar to like what has happened in things like Stripe and payment processing or email, where it's like actually pretty hard right now to go make your own email server. Or like if you build a payment gateway yourself, like to take credit cards and stuff, like some of those things are just, they're prohibitive by the time it takes. So you could do it if you had lots of money and an army of people, but then you're just repeating something that already exists or not doing it well. Um, so we're trying to make it, you know, as ubiquitous as possible. So you just worry about the part that makes it interesting and not like the, 
the heavy lifting that's needed. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us from Star Wars to video games to Unix to right here, right now, Series B. Congrats on your success and best of luck going from 70 to 210 and hitting all the objectives along the way. So thank you for sharing today, Anthony. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ. <laughs>